Good morning. Hey. All right. Love it. Spoke back to me. I'm loving that. So, um, yeah, as Justin mentioned, and as uh, Kate and Anna were just reading these verses, we're talking about our identity as family. We are family. And the Bible says... um, Did somebody turn on a radio or something? What's going on? Come on. I remember this song, right? Yeah. Sister Sledge, 1979. Anybody remember that? Some of you don't remember that. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that was a setup, totally. But, you know, awesome. I love it. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Grace. Thank you, John. We are a family. And uh, that video is available on YouTube if anybody wants to check it out afterwards. Not during the service, please, you know, but God, uh, God says that we're family. He says that uh, any, of, who of us, any of us who have accepted Christ as Savior, uh, we become his children. That means that uh, we're related to him, and now we're related to everybody else who has made that decision to say, Jesus, save me. Forgive me for my sins. Come into my life. We've all been given the same Holy Spirit who is God inside of us. And he unites us to him and to all of us. And that's just not the people in this room. It's everybody else who's made that decision as well across the United States and across the globe, including our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine. I remember the first time I heard teachings about this topic it was intriguing to me. Suddenly, I've got this gigantic family I'm connected to. And uh, it was hopeful. It was a bit puzzling, to be honest with you. And maybe even a little concerning, right? If we want to get really honest with ourselves, um, we might have concerns about this idea. I know for me, I grew up in a loving family. My parents were Uh, committed to each other. They were committed to me and my siblings. Um, They loved us. They said so. They demonstrated it in so many ways. But it was also complicated, right? Family life is complicated. My mom and dad had both been married before. My mom was divorced. My dad was a widower. And they both had two kids each from their previous marriages. So we were a blended family. This was before Really, that was on the radar for us as a society. Um, They were. And so it was complicated. And maybe even as you're hearing that the church is family, similar feelings are surfacing for you. This is kind of a complicated thing for me. In fact, maybe you've experienced some negatives in church that might remind you of some of the bad parts of family life. (laughs) And you're saying, hmm, what's so great about that? Well, I'm going to say this. It is great. But it isn't great because you always feel loved. It's not great because you're always in agreement with everybody else. It's not great because you're always treated the best or you're always affirmed. In fact, I would say if I was always affirmed and encouraged, I'd kind of wonder about how loving that family is because... Honestly, I can be a real stinker sometimes, guys. It's probably a shock to you. You thought I was just this perfect guy, and I'm not. I'm not, really. Julie can definitely affirm that, but a lot of people know that. 
I need loving discipline. I need questions that penetrate um, below the surface that get down to the heart of things for me. Wrong motivations. I need people who can wade in there to that tough stuff. And dare I say, I need something that the Bible refers to as admonishment, which can look a lot like confrontation. Kind of uncomfortable. But I need it. I need to also be a giver of grace and service and love to others using the gifts that God's given me to bless other people, not just to be a receiver. And here's why all of this is great. The family of God, broken as it is, even though we are new people in Christ, we still have that part of us that is broken, immature, sinful, definitely in process, but striving, pursuing, attempting to love as we've been loved, even though imperfectly, this is God's chosen environment to transform you into somebody who looks more and more like Jesus. This is such an important point, I want to stress it again, that the family of God is God's chosen environment to turn you into somebody who looks more and more like Jesus. I want to borrow from Jay's teaching last week. He quoted from Ephesians 4, 15 through 16, which uses the metaphor of the body, but it's the same ideas. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is every member ministry. This is all of life discipleship. This is what it's supposed to look like. But this family life is messy. It sure is. It can be difficult, but this is God's provision for us. Last year, when our house church was serving at the Cedarville Involvement Fair, we had, you know, just wave after wave of kids Young people, sorry kids, I don't mean to use that. I've got younger people in my life, my children. So young people, young adults who are coming to our table and wanting to know information about our church. And as I was engaging with the students that were coming up to us, you know, I, of course, you want to go to the positives, right? You don't want to sell negatives. So, you know, I'm talking about how cozy it can be and fun and you build friendships around Jesus and all of those things are true and we share a meal together and we share life together and all that's true too but inside my heart I could sense the Holy Spirit nudging me and saying yeah but that's not the whole picture and so I started giving a more fully (laughs) a fuller picture of things and I And I shared that, you know, it can be hard at times. People can let you down. You cannot be loved like you've been loving others. Uh, There can be misunderstandings. But I, I still affirm that this was the way that God has for us to become more like Christ. And I ended with what I think is probably one of the best closing lines I've ever come up with in my life, which is, so come to new community and die to self with us. 
And I actually managed to get some people to sign some information cards for us on that line. So, you know, don't, don't rule that one out. I figured Jesus used it. It worked for him. Take up your cross. We are the family of God. Whether you're involved in a house church or not, whether you're a part of a discipleship group or not, we're all related because of Jesus. It starts there. Regardless of how connected or not connected you are right now to the church, the same is true for us with all believers everywhere. But in terms of the nitty-gritty, in terms of where growth actually happens, where change takes place, we do have to commit to a family where we're investing and carrying out the one another commands and giving each other grace and pointing each other to Christ. When I first came to Christ, I was motivated to find fellowship. And I visited a few churches. I'm from Dayton, so I went back to my church growing up. I went to uh, some of the other larger churches that are in the area that I was aware of. Um, but I was longing for that fellowship where I could grow and build a life around Christ with some others who wanted to do that too. I had sensed that I'd gone through a radical transformation and I needed to be committed to it. And it needed to be a commitment around fellowship and around God's truth. But consider where I started. Consider where all of us start. Jay touched a little bit on this survey of, of verses from Ephesians. I've got a couple more from Romans, but Ephesians 2.1 says that we were dead in transgressions and sins. Dead. That we were by nature children of wrath. Children of wrath, by nature deserving of wrath. Romans 5.8, we were sinners. And then verse 10, it says that we were God's enemies. You look at that list and doesn't it make you pause for a second and say, I don't even know bio how biological families hold it together when you consider that every person in that family's heart starts there. <laughs> That's rough. And as you look around society and maybe you even looking at your own family, you're realizing, yep, it's rough. We tear each other up in our families. Not just in the U.S., this is around the world. So, you wonder, if that's so true, how is it that a family that has no previous ties with one another or connections, how can that family come together and love each other? But God. But God can do it. But God can do it for our biological families. He can do it for our families in Jesus. And he does it by making us new people. You know, Jeremiah alludes to this in his book. He says, God's going to give us a heart of flesh. We need a new heart. We need to be a part of a new humanity. Think about this remarkable transformation for a second. Children of wrath. Enemies of God, dead in our transgression, sinners, now the beloved children of the king of creation. And we are 
the place where God takes residence. It's not like that's all perfected before he comes in. He comes in while the mess is still going on. John talks about this in 1 John 3, verse 1, which um, Kate and Anna were reading. Um, It says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. It is remarkable. And you can almost hear in the writing of John more behind it, like, can you guys believe it? We're the children of God. We were children of wrath. And now we're children of God. How great must God's love be for that to happen? That we are lavished with that kind of love and attention and commitment and transformation. And we are. How likely is it that children of wrath, dead in their transgressions and sins, and enemies of God, would become children of God? (laughs) Zero chance, but God. How does this crazy, unimaginable thing happen? And again, this is a verse that that, uh, was read at the beginning. John 1, 12 and 13 Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. That's how. We have to be reborn. We have to go through a new birth. And if you've read John 3 a few times, you realize how unfathomable that was for Nicodemus and it should be for all of us this supernatural process is spelled out in Romans 6 3 through 4 and in that passage it says that we are put into Christ when we believe and so I'm not much of an object lesson guy but I decided I'm going to keep the Jesus box going for another week. And uh, I also brought this beautiful portrait of myself and my wife, my lovely bride, Julia. Yeah, so, um, so when we received Christ as Savior and put our faith in him, the scripture says, and specifically this passage in Romans 6 says, that we were put into Christ. We were baptized into his death. and placed in him so that now everything true of Jesus is true of me and true of Julia and you can put your own name in here was he put to death yes I was also was he raised to new life yes so am I did he ascend into the heavenly realms to sit at the right hand of the Father in heaven? Yes. And that's where I'm at also. And Julia and everybody else who's made that decision. It can be a lot to get your head around. 
but what God says is the truest thing about us. We're no longer children of wrath when we make this decision. We are now born again into the family of God, headed by Jesus, not by Adam. We needed, to be, we needed our uh, family membership transferred because that family led by Adam has only one destination. We need to be a part of a new family. And that comes by putting our faith in Christ. Dennis McCallum in his excellent book, Walking in Victory, which I'm studying with some of the guys in my discipleship group right now, he talks about this life-changing truth in some greater detail. And um, I really recommend this book to you if you want to understand how our identity has changed. It's a powerful book on that. But he says in this one portion of the book, 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, By God's doing, you are in Christ. That is a plain proposition that we might not fully understand, but that we need to accept as a declaration from God. We don't need to be able to confirm the statement with some kind of experience or feeling. It's a fact of Scripture that deserves willing belief from those of us who view Scripture as our ultimate standard of truth. The truest thing about us is what God says about us. Just, you know, if there's nothing else you take away from this message today, I hope you take that truth. The truest thing about us is what God says about us. If you've accepted Christ's death as payment for your sins and you've said, Jesus, come into my life, and you've welcomed him in as the basis of your forgiveness before a holy God, you're a new person. This is why 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And we are the family of God. We are children of God related to each other. I want to acknowledge for a second that maybe that's not where you're at today. In fact, if you're here and you're just checking things out, you've been invited by a family member or a friend or a coworker. first of all, thanks for coming. This was probably a hard move for you to make so we appreciate your courage but you know you may come here and you may be sitting here saying I'm not sure about this stuff I'm not even sure what I believe about the Bible if it's, a, if it's really true or if it's a mythology I don't know you're not sure about the singing of these songs to God you're not sure about well First of all, you know, I just want to say, again, thank you for coming. But you might be in a different spot. You might be in the spot of somebody who's been raised in church. You've been immersed in Christian culture your whole life. Maybe you're attending Cedarville University right now, or you did attend Cedarville University, or you maybe attended another Christian school at some point. Or maybe even if you went to place like Ohio State or Michigan or Penn State or wherever you were part of a you know some kind of a Christian group on campus but perhaps you have been immersed in all this but none of that makes you a Christian either so whether this is strange to you or way too familiar to you there's only one thing that's going to change your situation with God 
And that's the transformation that Jesus offers you. That's it. There is no plan B. Have you owned your sin and recognized and believed that you deserve hell and death before a holy and good God and believe that Jesus stepped in your place and took that penalty for you? He took the hit so you can be adopted by God, so you can be born by God into his family led by Jesus. If you put your faith in Jesus today by asking him to be your savior and to give you new life, then you will at that very second become a child of God. You don't need to fill out any paperwork. We don't need to notarize anything. It just is. Because you have accepted what God said is so for yourself. And by the way, if you have done that, or if you do that in the course of this message, please come up to me and say something about it because I'd love to celebrate with you. And if you're like, eh, I don't want to talk to him, tell somebody. <laughs> Let them celebrate with you. Spread the celebration around. So if we want to see real change in our lives, we do need to see ourselves in our new identity first. And by the grace of God, live that out with some other Christians. To be better in our dealings with each other, we need to commit to realizing we've got a new identity that needs to be lived out with other people who have a new identity, other children of God. And we as the church, we as new community, to become the loving, giving, supportive, sacrificial, uh, on-mission people that we aspire to be, it all starts by affirming first, I'm a new person. I don't have to do a bunch of things to become that new person. I just have to accept that gift. And he makes me the new person. And now I get to live out of that new identity. Doing comes out of our being. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians where uh, Paul <clears throat> is kind of laying it on the Corinthians as he does actually many, many times in both letters to that church. Corinth reminds me a lot of America in some ways, but that's another teaching. Um, and he's talking to them about the fact that, well, don't you know that there are certain, you know, people engaged in certain behaviors will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he talks about sexual immorality and thieves and drunkards and liars, and there's a long list. And if you read that passage, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, I'm sure you'll find something you can relate to. And you're reading that, and you're like, man, there's no hope. <laughs> and he's probably going to really bring the hammer down in verse 11. But what does he do? He says in verse 11, that is what some of you were. But he doesn't say, because now you've cleaned up your act and you're really acting nice now. He doesn't say that. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We need for change to happen as members of his family, we need to start with the fact that he's given us a new identity. 
1 John 3, 17 and 18. Similar kind of passage where John is, is um, critiquing the behavior of the believers he's writing to, and he's like, if anybody has material possessions and sees their brother in need and doesn't do anything about it, how can the love of God be in that person? And you're like, oh, man. <laughs> you know, every time I've just, you know, bypassed, you know, well, we're getting meals together for the Joneses family, and it's like, mm, you know, I guess I've not been very kind to people. It's like, yeah, guilty as charged. How can the love of God be in people like that? And you can think, oh man, John's really going to bring it down hard next. But what does he go back to? Dear children. Let's not love with just our words or our speech, but with actions and truth. You know, what do we see in Acts 2, 42 through 47? We see a lot of loving in action and truth. It's a much-loved, often-cited passage, especially around here, because we are on the model of having small you know, groups of people who meet together in house churches. Let's just read it again, though, and think about it through this lens of what's going on and how these people are living out their identity as a family now. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and, they, and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added that our number daily those who were being saved. And you know, what do we see going on here? Well, they definitely are eating together. They're sharing meals. They're learning together. They're growing in their relationship with God together. They're being a witness. I don't even have this on the list. They're being a witness to the larger community, right? Because daily, more people are being added. They're experiencing the awe of God together. That's pretty cool. Sharing what they have with each other and meeting together every day. And I think in summary, you could probably safely say they were loving each other. You know, what if we saw all of that going on with the nuclear families that we're a part of? Those would be some good families. <laughs> Those would be awesome families if all of our nuclear families had that going on. But this is the family of God that's talk, being talked about, which I would hope our nuclear families are a part of. The rest of the New Testament rolls out more of what it looks like to, to live out your identity in what are called the one another commands. There's about 59 of these in the New Testament. Some of them repeat. Um, so I just tried to find unique instances here of the one another's. So please get comfortable. We have three slides of these. So hang with me. Wash one another's feet. 
Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Love one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Good. Accept one another just then as Christ accepted you. Instruct one another. Wait for each other. That's pretty practical. Serve one another in love. Bear one another's burdens. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive one another. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Admonish one another. Build each other up. Encourage one another daily. Every day. Well, I encouraged them five months ago. They should be good. (laughs) Or I received encouragement five months ago. I could use a little. But anyway, spur one another on to love and good deeds. Do not slander one another. Don't grumble against each other. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. There's grumbling again. It's like grumbling is an issue for us, right? I don't know. I don't get that. Um, Yeah, that's sarcasm. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. And it kind of makes you wonder as you read this list, huh, you know, where could you live out God's love like this? These commands kind of assume that you're getting to know people well enough to even know how to do these things, right? I mean, I could maybe generally encourage you, and maybe after we talk for 10 minutes afterwards, I'd have something I could speak more specifically to, but in a regular, consistent way, daily, right? It takes getting to know people. I mean, how can you even spur one on somebody else on to love and good deeds unless you know what's going on in their relationship with God? Or who are the people in their lives that you should be spurring them on to love? It requires spending some time with folk. Probably, you know, it would take a small collection of other people who believe in Jesus that are getting together multiple times a week in a lot of different settings publicly and you know in their homes and stuff maybe 15 or 20 or 30 it might take something like that and uh, where you could practice those things I wonder where you could find something like that and okay I'm now being a brat so yeah this is what we're about these are house churches I hope this is what house churches are We can't live out the one another commands unless we are actually with one another. I'm giving credit to one of our guys, Jake Gaiman, because he said this when he was critiquing my teaching. I said, I need to give him credit. That's a good line. It's impossible to live out these commands in isolation from one another. And that's why we strongly recommend that you get involved in a house church as a place where, as a member of the family of God, you can live out the one another's. At gatherings, at your house church meetings, discipleship groups, one-on-one discipleship, as you're celebrating birthdays or accomplishments, 
grabbing lunch at Chipotle or wherever you go for lunch, Subway, going to movies, demoing somebody's house, moving somebody, going to the pool with folks, watching sports together, going to sports together, football, basketball, IndyCar, whatever you're into, right? Going on trail runs together, bike rides, skeet shooting if you're into that. I'm sure there are people who still skeet shoot. Um, whatever you're doing, we can be doing these things together. Serving the community together. All of that stuff. Grabbing a drink at Coffee Hub. Being the family of God and house church isn't a box to be checked, it's a life to be lived. So, I have to cite Barry for this one. I thought it's a great line, but I have to give him credit. <clears throat> it's really knowing each other. It's these people becoming the people you want to be first on your list when you have something exciting to tell, like, we're pregnant. I mean, I'm not, but you know. <laughs> maybe you've got some that news as happened or is going to happen at some point in your future but you know that's great news to share with people that are important to you or I'm graduating or I got an interview or I passed my board exams or whatever good news is that these are like the top of your mind when you're like I need to share this with these folks because I love them and they're my family in Christ or it might be the down stuff, the tough stuff. <clears throat> the cancer diagnosis or the miscarriage or any other thing like that. So, example for us, our beloved uh, uh, golden retriever uh, last year, he's been with us for like 15 years, finally got to a point where we realized um, we're not really loving him by continuing in this painful situation that he's in. And we made the very hard decision of taking him to the vet and having him put down. And uh, there were some guys from our house church that were living with us at the time, and they were there. It was hard. You know, it's like, it's a pet, but boy, they become part of your life, Right? And uh, then we got this nice uh, picture frame with a picture from Chinook when he first came to live with us and then near the end of his life. And it had this beautiful message in it about how he's, you know, the paw prints of, of Chinook were all over our lives. I can't remember the exact statement. Anna was the one that put it together for us. But I'll tell you what, there was nothing so touching as that. But it's sharing that stuff. It's sharing all of it. It's having the kind of unity and closeness developing in your house church where we know what to be praying for one another even if the person hasn't told us what to be praying for. Because <laughs> we're just around them and we know. It's a depth of love, a depth of love and trust developing where you can walk through your sin in a transformative way not in a way that's debilitative. That's the kind of people the family of God should be. There's one last really important thing I want us to consider. We shouldn't be doing this 
in a bubble, you know, hey, we've got our family, okay, I'm good with that. <clears throat> the Bible, Jesus makes this really odd statement, especially for us in the uh, hyper-autonomous, individualized America, individualistic America of the 21st century. But he says in John 13, 34, and 35, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So Jesus is suggesting here that we should live out our existence as the family of God so other people can see it. Uh, referring back to Barry, he said, we should become the porch house church <laughs> so people can see what's going on. The neighborhood house church. The coffee hub house church, you know, out there engaging the community and out there where our neighbors and our friends can see what's going on. By our love for one another, which should and will not look like the love that's available out there in the rest of the world, people will be able to see a qualitative difference. They should be able to see a qualitative difference that points them back to Jesus. Our life as family has an evangelistic impact. They will see Jesus by our love for one another. So just in closing, got six potential takeaways for you if you're feeling overwhelmed I would say find one to land on and do first I'd say review the verses that talk about your new identity as a child of God and as a member of the family of God I've got a short list here John 1 which I read Romans 8 which is an outstanding verse that I've cited to myself probably a couple times a week. I've not been given a, a spirit that makes me a slave again to fear, but I've been given the spirit of sonship by which I cry out, Abba, Father. That's in verse 15. Galatians 3, verse John 3, you can see the list here. Hebrews 12, that talks about how when God disciplines us, it's because we're his, we're his sons and daughters. He loves us. 1 John 5, First, the whole book of 1 John would be awesome for you to look at, but look at those. Consider those. Make that a part of your devotional plan or, or whatever you need to do, but these are important truths, and this, this is where real change is going to happen, is knowing you've already been changed. You can't get enough of this. This is the gospel. Look at Romans 6, 3 through 4. I mentioned it can be hard to get your head around this, I haven't found, there's been a lot of scripture that's been transformative to me. This, is, this was a pivot, this passage, for me. Look at it, study it, think about it, meditate on it. There's great stuff in that whole section of Romans 6. If you're not going to house church, start visiting one. Begin experiencing life as a member of the family of God. If you're not sure how to do that, you know, we've got a connection table where you can find out or get referred. Sarah does that kind of stuff, and I think there are others. Get you referred to a group, or just ask somebody that you're sitting next to and say, do you go to a house church? 
where's that at and like when do you guys meet and I had a conversation like that from the first service all right um, if you're going to a group commit to getting more engaged ask God to show you how should I get more engaged um, whether it's making house church and living as a member of that family like the, the rock in the stream of your week I definitely want to be there this is the priority for that day for me and being with these people is a priority of my life or getting involved with a discipleship group or saying you know what I think I need I'd really like to start meeting one on one with somebody in the group to receive and to give consider the one another commands consider and ask God to show you how to live these out more in your house church pray over these right I don't have the power to carry out those commands on my own none of us do we need the Holy Spirit in us by the grace of God to help us live those things out ask him to show you how to do this better find one of those that really like cuts you to the chase and you're like oh I need to be a better encourager or I need to be a better teacher of others or whatever it is and ask God to show you how to live it out and then last of all talk with your family in Christ about how you can live on mission together to show neighbors and friends in the community this love that testifies that we belong to Christ and just in closing remember we are family.